Well, hi everyone. Peter and I are here today with another edition of Tea and Tech to chat with another educator from another institution. As we mentioned in our previous call, um, Peter and I are reaching out to educators across the US and across the world to see how they're coping during COVID-19. So I'm super excited to be chatting with Rochelle today. And Rochelle has a super impressive bio that I'm actually just gonna read um, strictly from her Twitter bio to start because I thought the Twitter was super descriptive and cool. So consultant, teacher, speaker, attorney, and author, as well as a member of a variety of organizations who's received a whole lot of awards that are related to ed tech and other different um, types of environments. So Rochelle, welcome. Um, Thank you. Some information about you. Like, who are you? What do you do? Uh, I definitely, first of all, thank you for having me. I, when you read through that, it's like listening. I was so thankful that you just looked at the Twitter one because sometimes, you know, people will have the written bio that has a lot more information. And I really don't like to share a lot, like to tell people about a lot of what I do, but it's kind of nice that it comes down to a theme, which is like, I love learning and anything related to learning, uh, talking about education, just anything like that, that's what keeps me going every single day or sitting in front of my computer so much that people say like, do you ever sleep? And uh, the answer to that question is I do, but I, I just, ever since I was a kid, I've always enjoyed taking classes, studying clearly, you know, getting different degrees, but just always seeking to do more and to try different things for myself, but also to bring in opportunities for my students. So all of those things that you read, the different, you know, qualifications or hats that I wear, I guess if you want to call it that, came to be just from my childhood, just love of learning and just engaging with my students every single day. It's really interesting because when I read your bio and I saw the descriptive words and I, I did check a look at your Google site too, um, I'm curious, law to where you're now teaching, like the, how did the transition go with that? Are you still practicing law? Uh, well, it's interesting. Everybody thinks that I was an attorney first and then became a teacher because I don't know. I think that years ago when I, I thought about going to law school or just law in general, somebody said, oh yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of attorneys end up going into education. And I said, well, that kind of makes sense because I mean, if you're in a law school, you're going to have teachers who are practicing attorneys. But for me, it was actually that um, I, I went to Penn State, I got my degree in, in secondary education and in French. And when I graduated, I couldn't find a job just teaching French. And so I substituted for three years and got my degree in Spanish. But during that time, I took courses in translation, a big part of which was legal translation. So I started to think like, hmm, law is kind of interesting. Looked into paralegal programs, but... Um, I don't even know why at this point, I think maybe just the, the scheduling time, it wasn't available and let it go. And then probably when I was maybe later twenties, I thought about taking uh, the exam to see like, could I go to law school? But you know, you get those scores back and you're like, I don't even know what these mean. <laughs> like, do I qualify? Should I apply? And uh, let it go, time passed. I mean, and I was teaching already. I had been teaching at that point, I think maybe six years full time. And then I just decided, I think when I was like early 30s, you know, maybe I should apply, but I had to take the test again. So anyway, long story short, when I was already, I think in my probably eighth year of teaching full time, I applied to Duquesne, which in Pittsburgh um, is the only one that had an evening program. And so I thought, I didn't tell anybody. I just did it. I'm like, well, I'll find out. I get the letter. We'll see what happens. And I was accepted. So I was teaching full time and their program was four years, four nights a week. So I did take the bar and pass and graduated in 2006. Uh, 
which is a long time ago now that I think about it. But I truly think, and I've said this so many times, I don't think I would still be in education had it not been for that experience. And I had some legal work on my uh, you know, certification and everything, but it's just, it's learning that, I mean, you can't put a value on it aside from law school loans, but all of it came to be because of that uh, definitely changed who I am as an educator. I'm sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. And then I actually had a, a personal interest too, because I, I did a semester in law school during my eighth or ninth year of teaching high school. And ultimately it ended up being not for me, but I, I really remember being excited about that. So I was really curious about your path. So thank you for sharing. It's really yeah. interesting. Thanks. Rochelle, one of the questions that, that we have of our guests is, so now, of course, there's the unfortunate COVID situation that's happening to everybody and everybody's lives have been kind of up, uprooted, upended and changed very drastically. So as an educator and as a member of the organizations that you work with, uh, for you, what are the kind of huge differences that you're seeing in terms of, you know, interacting with students and even with some of your peers compared to six months ago? Yeah, the, I mean, the one thing too that I think about a lot is like, with schools closing and how quickly we had to move from like teaching and, and our heads being wrapped around what we do in our physical space in the classroom to, okay, everything's online. And then bringing in technology, which we've, I mean, most of us to some extent have been doing for some period of time, but it, it didn't matter if you've had years of experience and know all the tools out there or very little because we were all pushed into the situation where you're like, what do we do now? Um, and so, I mean, six months ago, the conversations where, you know, how can we kind of blend learning? How can we get students involved in different ways to innovate, to do more authentic and meaningful work with what they're learning and get past like the textbooks or the ways we've been doing things. And I, and I always say like nothing wrong. Like it's not all about the technology. I love the paper and all of that too, but fast forward to where we are now. I mean, it's still a struggle on a daily basis. I think that uh, one thing that I've noticed is people are, I mean, there's no choice but to embrace technology and finding tools to connect with students. But the hardest thing initially from a couple of months ago, I mean, not even the six months ago, but a few months ago was, what do I take from my physical space in my classroom that I can still do with my students that I may or may not see and I may or may not have contact with and who may or may not have the resources that we were using in that space. And I tried to take all of that, what I normally would do, and figure out how to fit it into our week. But um, so it was a big transition. But I think now, as we've progressed with week by week, and teachers are becoming more comfortable, and they're kind of, I mean, there were so many resources, there have been so many resources out there. And I think a large part of the problem, maybe people were hesitant to try things because you don't know where to start. Um, or you feel like you have to be an expert. Like, I got to know everything about it. No, totally not the case. I'm definitely not an expert on a lot of things. You just have to know enough to get started. And you either find out like, this is great, and you keep moving with it, then you add something else to it. Or you try it out and you ask your students or colleagues and they're like, well, you know, it's okay, but like we were doing this other thing that was better, so why change? But I, I think that we're seeing an increase in like a and building our personal professional learning networks and uh, you know, focusing on a lot of issues that were kind of there that we were focused on a little bit, but more so now like accessibility and equity and all the things that we're hearing in conversations too. So just been, it's been an interesting transition. I've been trying to think about what school will look like as we all are thinking about every day. Like what's it going to look like in a few months? Um, it's interesting to just how much has changed so quickly.
It's definitely been a great challenge for everybody from, you know, K to 12 to higher ed. And like, like you said, the transition has been both interesting and challenging in many ways. Have you, have you found that uh, due to sort of an unseen gap in the students' access to that, you know, the, the kind of basic infrastructure, the technology, the internet access, those kind of tools that you are having problems even staying in touch with them to begin with, let alone actually delivering the you know education the lessons the content but but you can't when you can't even get hold of them to begin with a lot yes and that is and, and i wasn't sure and i teach in a smaller school district i mean our our school is my school is grade 7 through 12 and so most graduating classes are i mean this year i think it's lower like 60 or 70 students smaller community but it's something that I'm hearing across the country from a lot of educators that I know is like, no matter what we're trying, the phone calls, the emails, um, I mean, all of those messaging tools and things that we can use, there are just some students and families that for whatever reason, we're not able to connect with. And I, I think, you know, part of it, at least for my students that I have talked to now, I have class meetings for all of my classes twice per week, which they're obviously not mandatory, but I've seen a lot of trends where, I mean, the students really want to join in because they feel that they're part of something and they can hear their voices and connect. But the ones that aren't are the ones that tell me like, yeah, I'm going to come to one of the two classes each week. Like that's as good as it gets. A lot of it comes down to um, the motivation or feeling engaged. And some feel like they've fallen behind because they weren't able, I mean, they didn't have what they needed at the beginning. And so that, that, you know, challenge of kind you know, catching up, I guess you could say, um, but there are some, I guess, you know, no matter what we try, you can't reach. And the thing now to move forward, because if this happens again, at some point in time, which obviously, I mean, I hope it doesn't, but being realistic, like it could, whether it's because of this or maybe something because of weather or, or anything else, but we need to figure out like, okay, what can we do differently to make sure that that doesn't happen? Like maybe now, because it's a shorter period of time and people are working on it, but talk to those students and those families and find out like, what's the reason, you know, what can we do differently? Uh, what do you need from us? What are you finding is, or what, which type of lesson, because I was taking a look at your bio and, and you're teaching, it says Spanish and STEAM. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what STEAM is. Um, but in terms of thinking about your lessons, because so in my role, I, it's essentially faculty development, um, but educational technology. So teaching with tech, um, and one of the, the most common questions I'm hearing from our faculty is how do I make this face-to-face -face activity online? So we've been doing a lot of brainstorming with that. Um, are you finding either like a, a, a trick in your toolbox of like how to migrate something online or is it just basically throw something against the proverbial screen and see if it sticks? Yeah, you know, initially um, I was using, trying to pull it, I mean, I teach Spanish levels one through four. My STEAM course, it's called What's Next in Emerging Technology. So I love it because I get to talk about, we do digital citizenship, we cover like social emotional learning, gaming, we look at old technology, which I mean, it, it's so much fun when we're in the classroom and I pull out like record players and tape recorders and a rotary phone and they're like, what is that? <laughs> but then more exciting things that, you know, like artificial intelligence, augmented virtual reality. So a lot of the things that I do in my classes that I have been doing involve looking at technology and trying different tools because realistically as a language teacher, I know not everybody's going to go on and major in the language that they've studied or retain all of it. So I try to help them to build skills that I know are transferable to whatever they do after they leave my classroom and our schools. And so the technology is a huge piece of it. Now, even with all of that, knowing that 
I can't have those conversations with my students that say like, why didn't you do that lesson I shared with you? Because I can't see them. And if they're not responding. So I try to, I mean, it's been a shift over the last couple of weeks, but I've been leveraging a couple of different tools where I find like, if you pick one or two that can really give you a ton of options. So for me, I mean, using zoom to have my class meetings. And then every time we meet, I usually give them some little activity at the beginning. Sometimes it's a survey, like a Google form or some game, like a quizzes to check in, like, how are you doing? Sometimes uh, it's another activity that I find based on, you know, my Spanish class, or, you know, I go over what, what their tasks are for the week, which I've gotten away from the book, but I've used some tools like Buncee that you can create like multimedia, um, Nearpod, Formative, where you can put all kinds of content into those. And I'll do some of those live in class and some of them I'll do student paced. But I've also been using things like choice boards and hyperdocs and a lot of project-based learning and Genius Hour, especially now at the last couple of weeks to kind of open up like, I want them to practice vocabulary, but they don't all have the same thing. So why not make it more interesting and meaningful to them? Like, here's the words to use and then pick a way to show like what you're learning and how you've learned it. Cool. It's a work in progress. I mean, like, you know, I try and then just write notes and reflect on it and see for moving forward. I'm curious, Genius Hour. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, actually, um, it is something people will do like project based learning and genius hour, but it goes back to and Don Wettrick actually today there's a lot of different discussions that have been going on about genius hour lately and then there was a summit with a lot of different sessions and so Don Wettrick wrote a book called pure genius. Um, Joy Kerr talks about Genius Hour. Andy McNair is a friend and she has another book um, about Genius Hour. But the idea kind of people refer to like Google where it had like the 80-20 time. The, you know, you look and you give students an opportunity to explore something that they're interested in or curious about. And it's like a chance to share their genius basically in whatever form that would be. And so for my eighth grade students who many of which they're just starting to learn. I mean, just because they have the devices doesn't necessarily mean they know how to do all the things. <laughs> and so going from here we are eighth grade, we haven't used a lot of technology to all of our classes are online. I was trying to kind of, especially teaching an emerging technology. I mean, the things that I would normally do in my class, I can't necessarily do now, but giving them this opportunity. So we've been looking at some videos, uh, but also even like Wonderopolis and Wonders of the Day and having them explore some of the topics. And then they have some things like try it out. But I shared with them uh, like John Spencer video about what is Genius Hour. And I think we even did like the project-based learning one because they're really short videos, animated, great to watch, whether you're a teacher or a student, they're very engaging to kind of explain it to them. Uh, but it's just a chance for each student to kind of, I don't know, I said, look around your house or look at the world or read something and like, what are you curious about? Or, you know, what, what is a talent or something you're interested in and figure out a way to share it with the rest of us. Well, now I love that. Thank you for describing it. Cause that's something I'm going to take back to our faculty because we, we like to in incorporate all kinds of different techniques. Um, and especially cause I was a K-12 educator for over like it was about 10 years. So um, bringing in stuff like that cause I still find a lot of it super applicable to undergrad and even our DBA students. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are, I mean, that's the nice thing too, is those, those uh, strategies, methods that you could use, I mean, they're not content grade level specific. So you can use them anywhere, even in the workplace, right? I mean, like Fridays can be share your genius, genius hour, like, what are you going to come up with? That could be kind of fun. No, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. I can see yeah. a lot of applications for that. Definitely. I'll send it over in your direction. Mm -hmm. So, 
so so moving forward in time when this all passes hopefully and things are normal and you can have all your students in one room without masks and all kind of doing the same in class activities that you used to do that you enjoyed what are some things as an educator that you would like to bring forward some behaviors some tool sets some techniques that you think were a good thing that were sort of picked up now or became more common now that you would like to see continue even when things go back to the way things were hopefully Definitely. Uh, I mean, one thing that I've noticed too is it's, it's really kind of strange how this is happening, but like the students who are, let's say in like my Spanish two class or any students in any class, you know, like the personalities and the interactions and sometimes like they either don't want to talk to anybody but their friends or they don't want to work with other students or something like that. And it's just, it's awkward sometimes when you come into a classroom and you, especially in a language classroom, because I never really like to speak in front of my, my peers in a professional development, but I, I wanted my students to do that. And one thing that I've noticed is this virtual space, even that we're not, they're not having their video on, but just the sound of the voices, I've noticed the interactions between them and the, the relationships and the collaborations kind of improving, which I've even said to them, like, this is so interesting because if we were in the classroom right now, like it's, it's not how it would be. So I'm hoping that these relationships that they're kind of forming now in this virtual space, whether through our class meetings or sharing information like we use Flipgrid or something like that, that that will then transfer back into the classroom where they feel like, yeah, you know, I can talk. Like I know I'm familiar with these people, with these classmates of mine. I'm, I'm good at just building their collaboration skills, but also, um, I'm hoping that, I mean, this is really a challenge, I mean, for students and families and educators too, and just uh, me being mindful of like what I'm asking students to do. And I hope that teachers are taking advantage of this as an opportunity to try some of those things that have been on the list that you didn't have time for, that maybe, well, it doesn't fit in the year and take some risk with it because like this is definitely the opportunity to do that. And I hope that if that happens, that when we go back to the physical classroom, even though like the last time we were there, we're like, oh, we used to do it this way, or this is the material that I use for this class, that you don't necessarily go right back to that because that's gonna end up being like the same exact kind of quick transition. I hope that it, it really forces us to make some like maybe, probably, possibly much needed changes. I know for me, definitely, it was kind of like a, a really rethink doing and start from, so I hope it's a period, of, but um, you know, growth for everybody. Yeah, I can, I'll let Allison chime in here. Allison is our Vice President of Academics at the college. And I know that we had this massively fast transition shift. Um, I think you'd probably feel similar to what Rochelle was saying in the sense that we're hoping that the shift back in is not going to be like, you know, the ice bucket challenge. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with Rochelle. I'm hoping that it will kind of change the way that a lot of our faculty look at things and um, you know, they look at it through a different lens and they come up with a variety of different techniques to use, whether they're in the classroom or outside the classroom to supplement, the, supplement things. Um, because as we know, there are so many different ways that students learn. And I think the more ways we can present the, the material, the better it's going to be. Actually, in a lot of ways, this was kind of a, I think, a blessing in disguise for us in a sense, because we were looking at going towards hybrid classes we hadn't talked about completely online. Um, and what we found is that 
Most of our adjunct faculty, our part-timers, have experience with online. Our full-timers did not. And of course, we're a small college, so the emphasis has always been on personal attention and things. But you still need to get a degree of technology, I think, integrated into your classroom this day and age. And a lot of our faculty have really resisted, full-time faculty have really resisted that to a degree. Um, being thrown into this, and we basically, thanks to, to Monica and Peter and everybody else, um, went from 100% in the classroom to online in less than a week. It was really amazing. I still don't know how they did it. Um, I think now faculty are a lot more, faculty learned that they could do it even though they didn't think they could before. And, and I think now going back to something that's more of a combination of the two will work out best for the students in the long run, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And um, it's interesting just looking at higher education and I have some students who are juniors and seniors now and you know I forget like I know all of the things that they've missed along I mean the typical high school experiences but also the, the exams and the SATs <laughs> and the AP and all of that and the group that I have with my Spanish 4 students we were having a conversation last week and and I said it's kind of like what you did about like yeah it's a very negative thing but it's kind of like the, lous the loudest, noisiest, worst kind of wake-up call you'd ever want to get. And if we just focus like this, all that we're missing out on, like you can feel all of those negative feelings. I mean, it's natural to feel like frustrated and anxious and overwhelmed and all of that. I said, but I've really been trying to look at positives. And I said, for you, I, I know you're missing out, I mean, as of right now, like graduations and proms and sports and musicals and all of that. I said that looking realistically moving forward, I said, you are going to be so strong when you, if you graduate, you graduate high school and you go to college and you're ready for like a hybrid, you know, I had to explain what that is in online learning. I said, or if you go into the workplace and work with me, I said, unfortunately it happened like that and you had to make changes and you're still working through it. I said, but you are going to be so much better prepared than you would have. And I said, of course, in Spanish, we've been using, you know, I, was, I like to joke and say, well, we've been using some technology, but this having to set your schedule and everything online and basically teach yourself for many of their courses, I said, that's like, it's hard. It's not easy to do. I said, but you all see that it's hard for teachers too. Like my students will say, oh, I should just online. I said, oh, those classes are not, they are not that easy. I mean, you might think, oh, it's great, but they're very demanding. And then the biggest piece is putting out that social presence and those actions. I mean, if you're not having synchronous versus asynchronous, you need to have something in place where you can at least like hear somebody's voice. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's all very interesting to have those conversations. And then even with me with ISTE, um, with the Teacher Education Network, I'm president of that. And people on my leadership team are all involved in education, working with pre-service teach. And so this has been, I mean, a really good opportunity as well to kind of think through and prepare. And I even said, like, just imagine if four years, like you're in your classroom and this happens, like you've been through this and you've been able to go through and sift through and listen to everybody else about what they did, what they could change. Um, I mean, we're all learning. So that's what we do, right? Mistakes are, you know, very true. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah. we'll share out the, the recording with our community and, and we appreciate you taking the time.
Yeah, I loved it. I love the conversation. And I could, yeah, you get me started. I can't stop talking <laughs> about education. So thank you. Thank you for the work that you do.